People want more democracy, not less. It's time to talk progressive politics and practical solutions with Joy Silver. Outspoken from Radio 111. Now, here's Joy. Welcome, 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 everyone. Uh, It's interesting that the political extremists and their enforcers, the anti-government militias, are all about placing the man at the head of the family, requiring their wives to subjugate themselves to their husbands, and insisting that marriage is only between one man and one woman. Unless, of course, you are a fundamentalist Mormon. So, who are these guys? Well, according to the FBI... They are a large but loosely organized collection of militia who believe that the federal government has been co-opted by a shadowy conspiracy that is trying to strip American citizens of their rights. These guys were part of the insurrection, some gals too, and they are among the first ones to be indicted. These anti-government militias are part of the white nationalist network that includes alt-right gangs like... mm, the Oath Keepers, Constitutional Sheriffs and Peace Officers Association, Proud Boys, Boogaloo Boys, and online trolls like Gropers with, uh, well, our past, I hate to say, president supporters. And they have joined the older groups that have been around, like the neo-Nazis who appeared at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, shouting, the Jews will not replace us. That replacement language is something that the the opposition has uh, appropriated for themselves. A lot about replacement and replace. So I just want you to underscore that if you're taking notes during this conversation. In today, these organizations of domestic terrorists supplant what the Klan, along with the organizations of the time, like the White Brotherhood and the Knights of the White Camellia, were invented to do. These historical groups come together to defeat Reconstruction and to restore white supremacy in the South. But when the feds came in back then, they all but ended their reign of domestic terror. However, 1915 came around, and these nativists organized the revival of the Ku Klux Klan, inspired by their romantic view of the Old South. The social media of the time could be seen as what Thomas Dixon's 1905 book called The Klansman and the Fox News at the time was D.W. Griffin's 1915 film, Birth of a Nation. Now, it's also worth noting that the second generation of the Klan at that point in time became associated with Christian values was not only anti-black, but also took a stand against Roman Catholics, Jews, foreigners, and, yes, organized labor. These guys have been organizing for a long time. Let me give you the official government definition of domestic terrorism. Domestic terrorism is the unlawful use or threatened use of violence by a group or individual based in operating entirely within the United States or its territories without foreign direction, committed against persons or properties to intimidate or coerce a government, the civilian population, or any segment thereof, in furtherance of political or social objectives. Now, I I didn't make up this definition, but this is the official government definition 
of domestic terrorism. Uh, Before we get any further, uh, I'm going to give you a number, too, if you want to join our conversation by text. You can reach us at 760-699-0202, because here is the question of the day. What was the name of the 1995 Oklahoma bomber? What was the name of the 1995 Oklahoma bomber? Now, don't look it up. Try and recall it from your memory. Again, that text number is 760-699-0202. The New York Times, April 7, 2009, Homeland Security, warned us that the faltering economy and the election of the country's first African-American president could fuel support for right-wing extremist organizations. And it said that proposals for new restrictions on firearms could lead some groups to begin stockpiling weapons and ammunition. Uh, I think Homeland Security assessment was perfectly right. But here's the kicker. That assessment cautioned that veterans who were returning from the war, and that's Afghanistan, who faced trouble reintegrating into their communities could lead to the potential emergence of terrorist groups or lone wolf extremists capable of carrying out violent attacks. Now, why am I talking about that today? I mean, isn't this supposed to be about pretty good for girls? Well, here's why. We're seeing a women's equality backlash here in this country, parallel to the backlash of having elected President Obama to office. And ruling over women is important to the extremists. One only has to point to Texas and the abortion ban to see that. And the United States Department of Justice had named anti-abortion extremists a current domestic threat. And anyone who's worked in a women's health clinic can tell you that that began as early as August in 1982, when three men, identifying as the Army of God, kidnapped Hector Zavillos, a doctor and clinic owner, and his wife, Rosalie Jean, and they held them for eight days. That's August of 1982 with the Army of God. Well, holding down women from decision-making positions and leadership roles is part of the strategy because it's a promise to the men who will allow other men to rule over them as long as they get to rule over women and minorities. In fact, not finding women in senior leadership roles in all segments of American culture means we cannot get to the promised land of equality. Over the weekend, I was lucky enough to hear the iconic activist Dolores Huerta tell an audience that the Equal Rights Amendment, which, by the way, reads very simply, equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. It had been passed by the required number of states to move it forward. Well, five decades after the ERA was approved by Congress in 1972, 1972, I repeat that, Virginia ratified the amendment in 2020, and the quorum of 38 states was finally reached. The amendment was meant to be ratified by 1979, but the ratification date was extended by Congress in 1982. 
The push to get the amendment ratified continued after this deadline, but a federal judge ruled this month, this month, that it's 40 years too late to add the amendment to the Constitution. That means the whole thing has to start over with the new congressional approval, H.J. 1, passed on March 17th of 2021, and S.J. 1, is now on the Senate legislative calendar, and that's since ninth, this since 2021. Now, I go back for a second, and I tell you that the amendment for the ERA was extended by Congress in 1982. And when did the Army of God kidnap the doctor and his wife and hold them for eight days because they worked at a women's health clinic? 1982. It's important for many reasons, among them this particular ERA, that it would give equality between the sexes the highest possible legal protection, filling any gaps left by individual laws or non-binding legal precedents, making discrimination based on gender illegal on a constitutional level would provide stronger grounds for cases concerning discrimination in the workplace or gender violence, including those shielded by Religion. Underrepresentation of women in popular culture is a big problem. Studies show that there are three times as many white men as women on TV's primetime or children's programming. Males outnumber females by two to one on newscasts, and women make up 16% of the newscasters. Stories about men are included 10 times more often than the ones about women. This lack of representation would have us think that there are more men than women and that men are the cultural standard. And yet, women are in the majority of the population of the world. And this inequity is worse when we look at the intersection of race and gender. So, how can social change be made in a society? It can be made through expanded media, and that gives self-definition by the identified groups themselves a chance to bring the diverse points of view and images to the table so that the general public can gain familiarity with them. Popular culture plays a key role in determining how we define our own and other identity groups. And popular culture is experienced through television, film, radio, internet, advertising content, reality TV, video games, books, magazines, comics, and comic-based animation. And most importantly, music. The Washington Post wrote about the University of Southern California's first, first annual report from Annenberg. And it talked about gender and the race of artists, songwriters, producers, and other creators across 900 top songs in the, ni- in the last nine years, found that women compromised a total of 21.6% of all artists, 12% of the songwriters, and only 26 of all producers. We got to look at some history, or should I say history here. Back in the 1940s, World War II gave many women an opportunity in all roles as the men went to war, and that included the music business. Most famously, the all-white female big band, led by Ina Ray Hutton and her Mellow Deers, gained notoriety, as did the all-female but 
and mostly black but integrated band called the International Sweethearts of Rhythm. We don't hear about them, and for good reason. They played during the Jim Crow era that forced segregation. I recently watched a documentary about the Sweetheart of Rhythms. Ah, boy, could these women play. I am talking about bighorn sections and killer drums, crazy piano chops. They became entertainments for the troops, but only for the black soldiers, since they couldn't play for integrated audiences. Oh, no. In one of the interviews in this documentary, a trumpet player said those famous words that female bands and musicians still hear, they hear it today. You play pretty good for girls. And that is the topic of our program today. Pretty good for girls. How women in the music business help level the playing field in our culture by making social change. Our guests will be Lizzie Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of Boston's Lizzie Borden and the Axes. This is Joy Silver, and this is Radio 111 Outspoken. She's fierce. She's bold. She's outspoken. Here's Radio 111's proud progressive, Joy Silver. We're talking about our program today, which is called Pretty Good for Girls, how women in the music business help level the playing field in our culture by making change. Our guests will be Lizzie Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of Boston's Lizzie Borden and the Axes. Cindy Barone is here in the studio, and on the phone will be Liz Borden to talk about the changing face of women and equality through the power of music. But before I give you their introductions, let me ask you, if you know the answer to this question, please text 760-699-0202. Sounds like nobody remembers what the name of the bomber was, the Oklahoma bomber in 1995. Actually, actually, Joy, we uh, we do. In the last uh, couple of moments, we've had a few different text messages come in. Uh, and let me just check them all. And in fact, all three of them responded with the same answer, which is the correct one. So who is, do you have the names of our 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 call our texters Uh, or just phone numbers there i have just phone numbers okay and who did they say it was it was timothy mcveigh well if i knew who your names were i would assign you since cindy barone herself is in the studio today each of you gets 25 useless points Ding, 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 ding. Timothy McVeigh, 1995, our homegrown domestic terrorist who, by the way, had a military background. So thank you for that, for all of you who've texted in. 
you got the answer right, and you were each awarded those 25 useless points. We'll indicate that the persons who wrote had phone numbers here in the Coachella Valley, in Massachusetts, and in the Inland Empire. Wow. So I hear that there's some people from Boston listening today because, well, we do have Lizzie Borden in the Axes. The former bass player for Lizzie Borden's in the Axes is Liz Borden. She's a bass player and a singer for the band. She's a musician, singer, songwriter, producer, music manager, photographer, artist, jewelry maker, and she's a writer with songs in commercial TV shows and movies. And Liz has been in the music industry for 40 years. She's still going strong. Cindy Barone, singer and drummer, currently owns her own business as a certified financial planner and a registered tax preparer here in the desert. After leaving the band, she became a concert promoter, and as a result, she was offered several jobs with independent record companies as a road manager for a known and famous female comic and as an assistant publicist for a major music act. So let me say welcome to both of you. I'll be talking to you one at a time so our listeners know who is talking. Let's start with you, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing good. How about you, Cindy? I'm great. Thanks. Whoops. Oh, I'm great. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Well, let's start with you, Liz, because I know what the listeners are going to want to know. Is Lizzie Borden your real name? Yes, it is. Thank you. (laughs) That's probably my most asked question in my life, but yes. I bet it is. I bet it is. And I want to ask both of you, but Liz, as we're talking to you, let me ask you, what made you decide to be in a band? You know, I don't think I actually decided that. My mother always says that from the time I was a child, music has picked me. And I was always performing, even when she had guests over, so I... it was just a natural progression. And you decided to become a bass player because? Because the band needed a bass player. <laughs> I had played out in other punk bands before Lizzie Borden and the Axes. Um, nothing as significant as what Lizzie Borden and the Axes grew into. But, um, you know, playing guitar, singing, all that stuff. And then I met Rita Laveka of Lizzie Borden and the Axes, guitar player, and she needed a bass player. So I'm like, okay, I'll play bass. That's great. Uh, Let me ask you: Could you tell? Can you you know something about Lizzie Borden? Not your, not you, Liz, but the other Lizzie Borden. Well, I'm still learning about me, so I know somewhat (laughs) about me. But uh, yes, I know a lot of things about the other Lizzie Borden. Being in a band, Lizzie Borden, the Axes, and starting out in Massachusetts. How can you not? Because that's where it all started. So I probably know a lot about her. Yes. So, uh, Cindy, what made you decide to be in a band? Well, I came from a very musically inclined family, and the more I talked to cousins, the more I realized it was uh, right across the board. We were given the option of playing any instrument we wanted and singing and standing around the piano and doing a family thing. I learned uh, from my father how to play guitar when I was so small. My fingers could not reach around the neck of the of a very thin-necked guitar, so I used to drop my thumb over the top, which I still do. And uh, similar to what Liz said, it just it just sort of came naturally. It was a progression. It wasn't a big decision. 
I want to be a rock star when I grow up, although, you know, that's kind of a cool thing to want to be. And uh, it sort of just landed that way. Thank you. So Lizzie Borden in, uh, let's see, Fall River, I believe it was. Uh, yes. Lizzie Borden had an axe, gave her mother 40 wax. Do I have that right? Yep. And when she saw what she had done? She gave her father 41. That sounds right. <laughs> and, and so this is Lizzie Borden, and there are the axes. And as we know, the term axe in the music business also stands for a guitar. A guitar, we- your your instrument. We're listening to Joy Silver on Outspoken at Radio 111, and we're talking to Liz Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of the all-female band Lizzie Borden and the Axes. And our show today is Pretty Good for Girls, How Women in Music Help Level the Playing Field in Our Culture by Making Social Change. Turning back the ugly wave of hate that seeks to divide. Joy Silver is Outspoken on Radio 111. Our show today is Pretty Good for Girls, How Women in Music Help Level the Playing Field in Our Culture by Making Social Change. And we're talking to Liz Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of the all-female band of Lizzie Borden and the Axis. Liz, I'm going to go back to that question that we were having our conversation about, and that is the images for the video on your song. Would you let the listeners know the name of that song again? It's called How Does It Feel? By Lizzie Borden, the actress is up on YouTube, so everyone can see that. Um, so you can see the images and see what we were doing. And I think I was saying that certain people did not want us to release a song political. They wanted us to stay girly, poppy, and fun, which we were to a point, but there was way more to us. And uh, so we released it, and I, I think it came out really well. That's interesting. Uh, why do you think that, uh, and who was it in the business that, I mean, you don't have to say their names, but their roles in their positions. Who wanted to keep you from releasing a song of great social and political import? Uh, our manager at the time didn't think it would be a good idea. And like I said, they, you know, back then they wanted us to have a certain image, and the image they wanted us to project was not us. And... Uh, you know, so we would deviate here and there, but pretty much we were kind of people trying to keep us in our little box, and that didn't always work for us. Cindy, I'm going to ask you that question about the, the image that was expected of the band, and Liz just said that you deviated from what the expectation <laughs> was. But She's being so kind. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they, it, it started with management, and I think that the the influ- and, it, and it went on to record companies, and I think that the the influence just came from societal pressures or, or the protocol for the day, which doesn't seem to be any different. It feels like we're still fighting the same battle today, forty years later. Um, they wanted us to be girls. Then you, I don't want to say vapid, but that no big political, don't make waves, don't have a big political opinion, look a certain way, act a certain way, be a certain way, change your makeup, you know, uh, things of that nature. And not only was it not us, I don't really think we had the ability to do that. Hmm. That's interesting because the images of women and the images of girls and who dictates what they should be doesn't necessarily come from the women musicians themselves. And I think... 
that's really the struggle that we are involved in as we were in the 80s, in the 90s, and I think that struggle still moves on today, as you could tell from my earlier statistics about who's calling the shots in the industry. And the fact that women are not necessarily in decision-making capacities in any of these companies across the board. I mean, you can take a quick look at, at, at two particular groups that you will be familiar with. One is Goldie and the Gingerbreads from the 60s who had beehive hairdos and a lot of makeup, but played all of their own instruments and toured with the Rolling Stones and are still not in the Hall of Fame. And then you can move right along to Karen Carpenter, who was a drummer, which, by the way, is not a very female, there's air quotes there, uh, instrument, and was forced to wear a ball gown while she played the drum. I can't, as a drummer, I can't think of anything more uncomfortable. Hmm. I know that Sheila E., who was a pretty famous drummer with uh, Prince, actually played her drums in stiletto heels. What do you think about that, Cindy? I think that because she was with Prince, I think Prince called the shots, and, and in calling the shots, allowed her to call her own shots. I think he was very special that way. Right. Liz, um, tell me a little bit about some of your biggest influences, first in uh, songwriting and then in actual musicianship. Oh, that's a tough one. Um, In songwriting, I don't have huge influences. I've always written, it's just come out. Um, And some of it may reflect what I listened to at the time. Um, I songs and songwriting can range from country to heavy metal. And I don't have particular songwriting influences, but as far as music, I mean, I was one of the original punk rockers who hung out in the punk scene, and you can see my music change throughout the years. So I loved Patti Smith, I love Blondie, I love all that. Um, I love Kurt Cobain, I love Heart. I love Motown, the Supremes. You know, it's, it's a wide range of musical influences that probably subconsciously got into my brain with songwriting. And uh, the, the variety of music I like, you, you can't even list it all. So I think listening to all these people influenced me, but there's not a, one specific person that did or a couple. And uh, how about you, Cindy? Who do you feel was your inspiration first in songwriting and then as far as female musicianship or musicianship in general? Well, I would say uh, some of my songwriting influences started with Buddy Holly, believe it or not. There was something about that that kind of music that really pulled me. But again, I also liked so many different genres of music. I, you know, I like country because it tells a story and that twangy sound that somehow also pulls me. I like rock and roll. I like heavy metal. Uh, I like pop a lot. In fact, pop would probably be one of my favorites. In terms of who influenced me, we can go back to Karen Carpenter, who played the drums and hit those notes dead center. Um, David Bowie, uh, the Ramones, because they were just... You know, they just went out there and one, two, three, four. I can't tell you how many times uh, our lead singer would turn to me and give me hand signals to slow down. <laughs> <laughs> I can remember being in Boston and hearing that uh, Lizzie Borden and the Axes is a combination between Josie and the Pussycats and the Ramones. Do I, they seem very opposite, but uh, how would you feel about a description like that? Uh, I ask you, Liz. Um, I love that description, actually. <laughs> I, I really do. And I, I want to add one thing to Lizzie Board and the Axes, and then I want to just add one other quick thing. Um, I love that description. And one thing about Lizzie Board and the Axes, no matter how punk, and then we grew to New Wave, then to rock, whatever phase we were, 
we had four part harmonies. I mean, we we're very influenced by some of the older music because we love the vocals and we love the uh, harmonies. And one thing I wanted to mention about influences, whether they influenced in my songwriting, maybe not, but any female band that was out when I was younger from Fanny, uh, uh, you know, Goldie and the Gingerbreads, Runaways, um, whoever it was, I was so taken by them, you know, just watching them, just just being blown away that these girls are doing that. And, and the first time I saw Alice Cooper, Welcome to My Nightmare show, and Susie Quattro came out, out on stage, that was it. Mm. That was that was it, you know. Let's talk a little bit about Susie Quattro. You know, in 1964, she she was signed to Hideout Records, and then again, she was um, in 1968. She was on Mercury Records, and my question there is: uh, Susie Quattro was really the only the, the lone person out there doing what she was doing. Isn't that true? Yes, at that time, yes, fronting a band in a full leather suit, legs spread, playing your bass low. I mean, I was blown away. And uh, I had had her albums. I, you know, had listened to her, but to see her live, and yes, I would say she is one of the biggest influences on a lot of women in music, including the Runaways. Um, There was no one like her, no. Uh, Cindy, what was you, were you influenced by the Runaways? Not as much the Runaways. Uh, I was uh, the oldest one in our band, so I, w- I was not quite at the same place. But I would, but Susie Quattro also quite taken with her her ability to just get out there and really play rock and roll. She didn't play rock and roll like a girl. She played rock and roll like a rock and roller. Mm. That brings me to that phrase: "Pretty good for girls." Have either of you ever experienced uh, somebody? T- <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! Every day, every day, Lizzie Borden the Axis on you guys. You guys is pretty good for girls. Yeah, yeah it, it, and you know what? Back, we would get that all the time from guys or club owners. But you have to realize when we started playing, too, and even the women before us, men didn't know how to be fans or groupies of women. Wow. And sometimes that's, which is interesting, they didn't know how to react you to know, female musicians up on stage. The other thing, too, is... The fact that, and, and Liz, that's a really good point, uh, that you, and you guys is good for girls, but what we found out much later is that listening to the radio and watching us on V66, which was like a local MTV station, and, and standing outside our gigs because the girls were too young to get into to the bars where we played, we influenced an, an entire generation locally of other other women who decided to go ahead and take a chance that if we could do it and we could and we fought a lot we fought a lot of um, issues let's put it that way and nothing stopped us uh, we influenced a lot of other people and gave them the same courage that people like Susie Quattro and Ganya Raven and Hart and those people gave to us that's very important. I want to get back to that, um, the challenges that you found out there when you were playing. And I think it's kind of parallel to what's happened to women in a lot of fields uh, where they had to, shall we say, break the glass ceiling. But I think it was important, too, Liz, uh, you were talking about the punk era because that seemed to open the doorway to a lot of women gar- getting the strength and courage to come out there and really play on their own terms. Do you see it that way? I see it that way, 100%. What the the punk movement did is it gave you a chance to get up there. You did not have to be 
the best guitar player, best bass player, best at anything. And yes, you could grow and become really good, but it gave you the opportunity to get up there, express yourself, and it was very open to women. There are a lot of female punks, you know. That's true. There were. I mean, I can think of a half a dozen just off the top of my head. Think about Susie and the Banshees, the Bush Tetras, the Waitresses, uh, Bound and Gag, you know, and and, and a a zillion others. There was something about punk music that was not necessarily just male or female, although it had its offshoots that were very uh, gender specific. But it was just about feeling and being fed up and tired. Uh, Tell me a little bit about, I mean, I know we all know about the Go-Go's. But I'd say that the way the Go-Go's were packaged and sold is very different than somebody like um, the bands that you just described, where women seem to be calling their own shots for their images. And that happened through punk, punk music. And I think defining your own look on your own terms and who you were and the honesty of that made a big change. And Cindy, I'm very interested in the story you just told about young girls who were seeing you play. Tell me some of the reactions that some of the audience had with you around that when they saw you playing the drums, some of these young women. Well, so we had a number of people, and I can think of someone in particular who was very young when she came to see us and could not get in. She came to so many of our shows and sat outside, no matter what the weather, snow, cold, rain, heat, you name it, she was there. She came to so many shows because she wanted to be a drummer that our road crew would go out and bring her blankets and chairs and, and, and Coca-Colas. Be- I mean, she became someone we knew, but we could not get her in. She then later, when she was of age, went on to lead her own band as a drummer. And uh, she's not the only one. And we didn't know this sort of until after the fact in general. Wow, that's kind of incredible. Um, so the whole... Uh, discussion before the two of you entered the discussion was about how women are gaining their strength and how women in music help level the playing field in our culture by making social change. We're going to hear more from Lizzie Borden and Cindy Barone, formerly of the all-female band of Lizzie Borden and the Axes. This is Joy Silver on Outspoken Radio 111. has a voice and she's not afraid to use it radio 111 presents outspoken with joy silver now here's joy we're talking today about well the phrase pretty good for girls and how women in the music business help level the playing field in our culture and how they make social change and our guests are lizzie borden and cindy barone lizzie borden is the bass player and cindy barone is the drummer formerly of boston's lizzie borden and the axes we have cindy barone in the studio and on the phone we have liz borden 
And there is definitely a changing face for women in equality. And, uh, well, I think we're all in agreement today that that is through the power of music. Cindy has been talking about the younger women who saw her playing. And Liz has been talking about women in the punk movement and how women were redefining and defining themselves on their own terms. But I do want to give a shout out to one of our winners who knew who was the Oklahoma bomber uh, of 1995 was Timothy McVeigh. And that is a shout out in Massachusetts listener today, Tara D. So Tara, we know that you are the one of the winners of uh, the 25 useless points. Uh, getting back to uh, Pretty Good for Girls, I don't think it surprises you that as far back as ni- in the 1940s, and I was talking a little bit earlier about the sweethearts of rhythm, and those women were had bighorn sections and killer drummers and crazy piano chops. Uh, I don't think it surprises you that they were still talking about in the 40s, you play Pretty Good for Girls is something that they had to deal with as well. Um, I'm wondering um, if you would tell us a little bit about the incidents where being a female musician created an obstacle for you or where somebody tried to minimize your effort. Do you have a story for us on that? I'm going to start with Cindy on that one. Oh, gosh. I think if if, uh, Heather and Rita were here, too, these stories would go on endlessly. Uh, And Kathy. there's two things that come to my mind. One is where we were booked with Salem 66, which was another female, all-female band out of Boston. And we were booked, I think it was Manchester, New Hampshire, and the, the headline outside said, Girls, Girls, Girls. <laughs> uh, when we it pulled up... It was the Bristols. When we pulled yeah. up, I said to our road manager, I think this is a strip club, and it's <laughs> the wrong place. Um, so there's that. And then there were other times where we were actually booked on a night as a headliner, and the second band, the band that played in the middle or first would come in because the headliner was the big act, right? And they would uh, try to usurp our position and and tell us that there's no way that we can be the headliner. They pushed, and we pushed harder. And uh, there were also times when we were the opening act for a larger band than ourselves, and they would refuse to move their equipment so we could barely set up on stage. Mm. And... Uh you have some stories like that, Liz, because this sounds like it uh, it could be tough out there. Um, I have endless stories. <laughs> <laughs> like Cindy said, would go on and on. I won't go into all of them. I mean, there there were even times where we were physically somewhat attacked, and uh, which was scary. And uh, was it a very well known club? The people that were working there, the guys actually were harassing us and physically uh, throwing things, squirting us with squirt guns, calling us names. So we we were harassed in every way possible. Um, We also were, like I said before, we're not allowed to be ourselves. And our band was very mixed. And we had people of all, you know, straight, gay, bi, and I actually had a lawyer. I was standing with our uh, manager at the time. And these aren't his exact words, but basically he said, if I hear that anyone, and I don't remember which word he used, gay, lesbian is in the band, and that's it. We're not working with you. So mm-hmm. we kind of, from every end, and then we, let me put this 
also we had a lot of really good shows. I don't want to sound like we were constantly battered or everything was bad, but we had a lot of challenges and we had a lot of good shows though too. But and it was very difficult. Very difficult. I would have to say there were times that we also uh, broke the glass ceiling, literally. Yes. Wow. <laughs> All right. I like, yes. <laughs> I know you had quite the following and that people lined up to see you. And um, that's one thing that eventually the clubs and the uh, venues became aware that you could bring in the audience to see you. And, Cindy, I think you mentioned that um, men didn't know how to be a fan club for an all-female band. I I think Liz Liz mentioned that, but it made me think of uh, a couple of guys that to this day are still in contact with us. There's There's a handful of them that somehow figured it out. And they became friends and sort of compatriots and would come to our shows. And we started, like, you know, letting them in and, and they sort of hang out, like, backstage with us. They figured it out. And it wasn't sexualized. It wasn't uh, control. It was just they liked us and we liked them. And so a shout out to the Chicken Boys. Well, yeah. I, want, I want to thank you both for being our guest today. Um, I hope to have you back. There's so much more to talk about. In the meantime, um, we're going to have, uh, please stay, well, please listen to us again. Uh, next week's show will be affordable housing and what California is doing about it. This is Joy Silver on Radio 111, Outspoken. Thank you all so much for listening.